so I went all in and I told every single person I knew never one time, not a single time did somebody say, that's crazy. That's impossible. You can't do that. Like never, I've never had that in my entire life. It's always been, if it was my dad, he would sit down with me and like create a plan for it. If it was my mom and be like, cool, hurry up and do it. If it was like, like whoever it was, it was always like, they expect that from me. Podcast Junkies episode 188. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran on the east coast of the United States, New York, to be more specific. Experience a bit of snow here. So if you're in somewhere warm, then uh, you should fully appreciate that because uh, 33 is kind of chilly. In case you're new to the show, this is the one where we actually seek out interesting voices in podcasting and get them to kick back their heels and talk about their shows or whatever else is on their mind in the land of podcastopia. In case you missed last week's episode, we had a great conversation with Laura Peterson. She's the host of Copy That Pops. She's a copywriter by trade, and she really delivered some amazing insights into how we as podcasters can do better with the written word. A lot of times we tend to focus only on what we say, but it's what we put down on paper or on a website that actually um, has some effect uh, impact in how we connect with our audience. So really check that one out if you haven't done so already. Episode 187. This week we have the pleasure of speaking with my good friend Greg Clunas, who I've known for several years and it's been a while since we've chatted and we reconnected recently. Actually through Laura as a reminder to come on the show, we met a long time ago courtesy of Chris Cerrone, past guest number uh, 9 and 50. And we really dive deep into Greg and how he got started in podcasting, his love of art, design, and marketing, and painting, and how he ties that all together, and how he uses it to influence his first couple of shows and a couple of the projects he started early on. We talk about uh, the progression of the shows that he started and stopped, and how he ended up with tiny leaps and big changes. He shares with us the six core areas of life that he uses to balance his podcast content, and then we talk about the moment he realized he wanted to focus on self-help. We touch on the incredible support he's received throughout his his life and about his upcoming projects. We then take an interesting turn and talk about the value of therapy as Greg shares with us his history and struggle with depression, which is something that I can relate with. Uh, we talk about his decision to hire an organizational coach and about some of the mentors that have helped him and impacted his life and really, really um, open and honest conversation, the kind I, I like to have and I'm having more of on this show. So I really think you'll get a lot of it. So let's jump straight into it and, and chat with uh, my friend Greg. But don't forget to listen to the end of the episode where I share with you this week's retention hashtag. As many of you know, I take pride in trying to have the best quality audio available, even though I could be traveling sometimes. So I've been known to experiment with a bunch of different mics, depending on where I am. I always try to make it a point to pack my Focusrite Scarlett 2i2. And they're sponsors of the show this week. Focusrite has been generous enough to sponsor Podcast Junkies. And I can't say enough good things about the company. And to be honest, I've had this Focusrite 2i2, the Scarlett, otherwise known as the Little Red Box, for several years now. Why I love it is because it's got this front interface that allows you to plug in the two mics as XLR mics. And even if you've got a mic like the Shure SM7B that I was using previously, that's a little power hungry, you can use it with the Phantom Power. Uh, it works wonderfully with that. And I love the controls on the mic. I get to monitor my own audio by plugging my headphones straight into the headphone jack on the front of this, the Scarlett. And overall, it's just just adds that extra level of boost and richness to my sound. Extremely reliable, extremely sturdy, and it's one of my go-to recommendations when I'm working with clients and I'm having them do a brand new setup. If you haven't heard of it or haven't seen the specs, then head on over to podcastjunkies.com forward slash 2i2 and it'll be taken straight to the Amazon page and you can check the specs there. So nothing but good things to say about Focusrite. Happy to have them as sponsors of the show. So Greg Clunas, host of Tiny Leaps, Big Changes, welcome finally, finally, finally to Podcast Junkies. Dude, thank you so much for having me. This has um, definitely been on the uh, top of my list of shows to appear on in the last couple of years, so I'm pumped that we finally get it to happen. 
So we always like the origin story, and I think ours goes all the way back to New York City, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah, so um, years ago at uh, Chris Cerrone and Lacey's like little random meetup, uh, do you know? Are they still hosting the Cerrone show? No, I don't think so. <laughs> okay, well, they're, they're hosting the Cerrone life. <laughs> ah, God. Well, um, when they're married now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw yeah. that. Um, whenever, however long ago they were hosting that show, uh, we randomly met at their like their in person meetup, um, and it, it was interesting because I think you're in paradise, right? Yes. Yeah. So I think paradise. I had like known of you from paradise. But it was so early in my podcasting career that I didn't I didn't even like connect it. And and now like thinking back, it's like, oh wow, I've known Harry for such a long time. Yeah. I I think it was is it twenty six was it twenty sixteen? Uh that that may have been twenty fifteen. I got into podcasting like end of twenty fourteen. Okay. So how did you connect with or how did you meet uh Chris and Lacey? And for for the listeners, you can go back to episode nine for Chris, which is way back, and episode fifty for when I had Chris and Lacey on. So when when did you meet them? That same night. Um, I was a listener of Chris's show. Uh, I think it uh, Tim Page, I think, told me about Chris's show uh, and sort of early on. And I was listening for a little while. They mentioned the meetup, and again, it was so early in the podcasting career. It was like, oh, like I didn't know any podcasters. Mm-hmm. Like I just wanted to be there to sort of be around people who love this medium. Um, so I decided to take the trek from where I was living at the time, uh, which was still New York City, but about 40 minutes to an hour away from where the event was. It was freezing cold. I don't know if it you was. remember. I remember that. And, yeah. um, and, and took the trek out and, and had the chance to hang out with some pretty cool people. Where were you living at the time? I was in I was in Brooklyn, but a different part of Brooklyn. So I was like deeper into it. Yeah, and I was in East Village at the time, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, when did the podcasting bug bite like you, and how did you get involved? And you know, tell yeah. that story a little bit. Yeah, so podcasting is one of those things that, um, like all good things in life, you kind of just stumbled onto it. Uh, so for me, I graduated college in 2014. I took a job in marketing, and I'd always been into entrepreneurship, I was always the guy who like had whatever crazy ideas like, hey, I'm going to start this and this and this. Um, So I had a habit throughout school of like, just consuming as much entrepreneurship content as I could. Uh, Normally, that came in the form of video, because at the time, I didn't even know about podcasts. When I took my first job, and I was sitting at work, bored, like entry level, there's just not enough work for me to do. I realized hey, I can't sit and watch videos. Like, that's not going to go over too well with the <laughs> boss. So um, I, I decided, oh, let me look at this podcast thing, uh, which in my mind at the time, it was ancient. It was like this thing that started up early 2000s mm-hmm. and died out and like that no one listened to it at all. Yeah, um, fad. Yeah, exactly. And and so in my mind, I'm like walking into like ancient territory. There's going to be no current creators, like no one's listening. And then I like stumble upon uh, JLD's show and a few others, JLD, Pat Flynn, uh, Lewis Howes at the time. And um, it was just like shocking at, at how active the community actually was. And this was uh, pre-serial. So like it hadn't even gotten to the level where it is now where I feel like everyone has a podcast, but there were still so many active creators uh, creating content around the stuff that I wanted to learn about. And so I just binged constantly. Like I got into like everything I could possibly find, got into all the indie stuff, got into like mainstream stuff, the NPR stuff, everything. Um, And because of I've got this like quirk in my personality where once I get obsessed with something, I have to do it. Like, I can't just consume it and be happy as a consumer. I have to be a creator of it. Um, so eventually, I, I jumped into Paradise just to see what would the back, uh, back end was like. Realized I actually knew a lot of the technical stuff because I had spent a little while as an audio engineer prior to that uh, in college. And so it was like, okay, I've got all the technical skills. I know how to, like, create content. Like, I've consumed enough of it that I know how to structure it. Let me just try this thing. Um, in about a month, I had my first show, which was god awful. It was absolutely terrible. They always are. Yeah, exactly. But um, that that that's how I got into it and, and just sort of got hooked. 
So you studied, uh, graduated uh, college with a degree in marketing? Um, so I graduated with a degree in art with a focus on design, oh, okay. um, a minor in computer science. And the marketing stuff I had gotten into in high school, mm. uh, like the internet marketing back in the day, and I just self-taught a lot of, of the stuff. And since I knew how to build websites and all of that, like that's how I got the job in marketing mm. uh, without the marketing degree. Well, that's a pretty interesting combination and highly relevant to podcasting. You've got some design chops. You've got the technical chops with the audio and then the mm -hmm. marketing, which is almost like the exact recipe that you need to, yeah. in order to be a successful podcast. <laughs> yeah, it was really interesting how it all like, like all these random, seemingly random things I had done over my life just concentrated on this one single medium is like I was preparing for this the entire yeah, time. Yeah. This is the moment you were preparing for. Do you get to flex your uh, design skills uh, much anymore? Or? Earlier when I started, the one thing that I do love that to this day I still get to do for my own show is um, I learned in uh, design school, art school, that uh, obviously visuals matter, but it's also like things don't snap together until the end. Like you can be sitting there working on a painting for two, three hours, and it looks like garbage the entire time. And then the last 15 minutes, like these 10 brush strokes is what snaps it together. It's like, oh, wow, this is great. Um, and, and so like the mindset of that stuff has been applied to podcasting so much for me, because especially when you're launching a new show, like it is messy, as you know, like there's so yeah. much that needs to be figured out, all the technical stuff, all the audience stuff, all the, the like how you're going to structure it, yada, yada, yada. Um, and for many people, they end up stopping there simply because they see this like heaping pile of mess and think, well, I'm just not good at this. And in actuality, like they just haven't done the brushstrokes that like snap it together for it to, to be a good thing. So the mindset definitely gets applied quite a bit. Um, and then beyond that, like knowing that simplicity matters and visuals and all of that, like being able to work with color theory, like all of that stuff ends up getting utilized, even if I'm just outsourcing it to somebody, I at least know how to have the conversation. Did you do any, it sounds like you might have done some painting back in the day as well yeah so my um in art school i focused on design because i felt best chance to get a job um but i actually loved uh, acrylic paints and photography like if i were to decide tomorrow hey i'm going to become an artist as my trade like i would absolutely be a painter because i can't draw for anything like i don't have the patience for it um painting is is interesting to me because you it's much more free-flowing uh in my mind than than the sort of constraints of drawing a, th a thing a representation of something are you a bob ross fan <laughs> <laughs> um i i'm more a fan of the meme of bob ross yeah <laughs> or the one where the tree is painting Bob Ross. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that one's pretty uh, so yeah, To me, that's how you know you've had a successful career is if uh, however many years later, like you're being turned into a meme. Like that, yeah. that's, that's the end goal. There, there's something soothing and I think relaxing. And I always imagine, I think what my career would be when I'm retired or when I'm 60 or, or 70 and just doing something that I can do for, for the love of it. And I think for me, it might be cooking or something related mm. uh, to that, just something that relaxes you. Yeah. And, and I've, I've, from the people that do paint, I, I find that, uh, well, I've heard that that is what that is to them as well. Something that's relaxing that allows yeah. them to just chill and, you know, not mm. overthink things and really let their creative mind flow. Yeah, some of my favorite memories um, in the last 10 years, mostly from college, is being in uh, the studio, have it, like having it to myself because I'm, I'm, I'm the classic procrastinator. So I was doing assignments the night before. Um, so having it to myself at like 2 a.m., playing some kind of like chill, lo-fi music mm -hmm. over, over the speakers and just like working on a painting. Like it, it's such a zone of like maximum relaxation for me. Do you have do you have any that you've uh, produced and and like shown publicly anywhere? Um, more so in college. So we did a um, for my senior like thesis. We uh, did a few like gallery showings. Um, one of my favorite projects, really. It's it's less painting, more everything um, that I worked on for the final project was uh, I produced a an original piece of music, so an electronic track. Uh, worked with a friend of mine who is a dancer, had her choreograph something to it, 
Uh, she then performed the dance and I photographed it. Then I took the stills from those photographs, turned them into stencils and took this massive piece of like just huge wall sized piece of wood and like spray painted each of the stills uh, going down it and then had the track available for people to listen. And the goal of it was really to like see how far I could abstract it from the original thing and then having the original in the final like next to each other for you to listen and, and, and see at the same time, like what effect would that have? Like, does it feel like it came from it or, or not? Um, so that was a lot of fun to me. Uh, but that I thankfully got to hang in a, a gallery for about two, three months. Oh, that's nice. And just have people walk in and see it and comment. And, and I got to read all the feedback afterwards. That was pretty cool. Very cool. And the uh, electronic production speaks to me as well because I, I grew up DJing vinyl turntables and all that oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. And, and then I got into electronic music production and started playing around with Ableton Live and producing tracks. Dude, Ableton is incredible, man. It is incredible. That's how I did my first podcast editing because that's the only yeah. tool I knew. <laughs> yeah, me too. When I first started, I was on Ableton because um, I was I was uh, heavily producing dubstep at the time. So I was like, mm-hmm. I already have the software. May as well utilize it. And um, for for those who don't know, Ableton is serious overkill if you're just trying to edit some podcast yeah. audio. <laughs> but it was I was I was able to work very fast because mm-hmm. I just knew it. And you knew the software, yeah. Which and, is uh, such a good point. Like it doesn't really matter what software you use. Like use what you know or can yeah. learn the fastest. Yeah. Now I'm when occasionally when I do some. My team handles most of the editing, but occasionally I use Hindenburg because it's it's meant specifically yeah. for audio and it's just really easy to use. So I've uh, heard really really good things about Hindenburg. Yeah. It's really simple. Um, not a lot of bells and whistles, and it's perfect for what it. I've, I never got into Audacity. Never got into Audition. Mm-hmm. Never got into GarageBand, which I know a lot of new podcasters gravitate towards. Yeah. Uh, just the interface wasn't coming from Ableton. It was just completely like I yeah. felt like I have to learn to completely. Well, see, yeah. Tool. So I was lucky because I use Audition now. Okay. Um, I love it because I uh, I did a lot of video editing growing mm-hmm. up, and and so Premiere Pro is where oh, I yeah. learned and, and have been in that environment. So the transition to Audition was easy. Um, like it's, it's a similar setup. If you've ever used any Adobe products, I would definitely yeah. recommend audition. And you can create templates from what I heard. Yep, you and, can and create I... templates, voice profiles. Like if you want to get real nitty gritty and, and like build out a system to save yourself time, like audition has the tools for it. I heard you can even, uh, program or, or look up, uh, the ums as a waveform and in bulk, like delete them. I heard some, some yeah mentioned that in the group it's, once. Um, <laughs> it's hit or miss but okay, it definitely yeah. can be a lifesaver if you've got a lot to work through yeah um so transitioning into podcasting so when you when you started the show like who is the main inspiration of the folks you were listening to and, and how did you decide on what format you you landed on so this current show um yeah. or so, actually let's go back then so yeah how many how many shows did you so i've hosted <laughs> i've hosted four shows uh four shows. one of them was never meant to be continued it was purely to like show how quickly i could do it basically okay. um but the first show was called time to launch and it was literally a carbon copy of eo fire uh, mm-hmm. i kind of made a similar mistake that a lot of new podcasters make it I, I found the show i loved and i just said cool i'm gonna make that um and that's why i say it was terrible because like it was eo fire without being as good as john is so like it, <laughs> it just seven days work. as well uh yeah I, I tried i went for the seven day model um and and so like it just didn't work uh and i wasn't having any fun with it like people clearly weren't really listening to it my guests mm-hmm. never felt like it was that valuable um and that was the the first foray into it the second show i launched a few months later I was called Casual Conversations with Awesome People. And the concept there was if I could speak to the top entrepreneurs about anything other than entrepreneurship, what would we talk about? Hmm. So I ran that for a season uh, and that was a lot more fun. But um, I st- I think because I didn't have a direction for it, like I, I didn't know what I wanted to do with it or like, did I even want to monetize? Like I knew nothing. I just wanted a show. Uh, I, by the end of that first season, I sort of got a little burned out on it and a little like frustrated with not even having any idea of where I wanted to take it. Um, and, and so I, I shut that down, started working with clients as many podcasters do and um, decided I noticed this trend. Uh, it's people who had joined 
the program the same time I did, and this is about two years in now, still had not launched their shows. Yeah. And it just like blew my mind. I was like, this isn't that difficult. Like I know it can feel difficult and there's a lot of stuff to like parse through, but the actual bare bones basics of it is so incredibly straightforward. And so that's where I, I decided I'm going to do this challenge of launching a show in 10 days. And I, I was able to do it in seven. Um, and I, I tried to do it as publicly as possible just to show people like, hey, there's a lot of stuff to be confused about. But if we strip it back to just the most important things, like here's what those things are. And you can get from idea to iTunes very, very quickly. Um, and, and so... 12 or so episodes into that. Like I, I literally just didn't record anymore. It was purely to get it live uh, and, and uh, shut it down. And then for this current show, Tiny Leaps, I didn't even intend on launching a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, like I had the idea for this show and then within a week it existed because in my mind, like I loved working with clients. Like I didn't have any ideas for a new show. So fine, like I'm not going to have a show right now. Uh, then I was I was sitting on a train uh, reading this self help book and I I just was so angry like, I was frustrated with the book with the industry and it, it wasn't this specific book it was more like a last straw kind of deal um, was it a self help book a general self help or something related to podcasting or it was related to it's, it's like general self help but it was focused on like the whole like passion movement so. Mm-hmm. Uh, find your passion and you'll be super happy and life will be perfect and amazing. And like, you'll never get frustrated basically. Um, and, and all the big fluffy things that no, I mean, surprisingly (laughs) it does not surprisingly, um, for some people, apparently it does because they're the ones who write books saying it. Uh, but I've never experienced it, but I, I I just, just sitting there thinking like somebody's going to read this book and it was self-published, which I think was also what bothered me because it made me realize self-publishing is a good thing like not having those uh barriers is a phenomenal thing but it also means that a lot of garbage is going to get through unfortunately and and so it made me realize like wow there is a lot of stuff that people are going to read that is just straight up bad advice and they're going to think it's good advice because it's in a book like like people still have that level of respect for a book um and and so i wanted to create something that countered what I felt was fluffy garbage personal development and and take it take this concept of improving your life, which is very possible. Like that's not a, a, a impossible thing to say you want to do. Um, but there is a way to approach it that allows you to keep moving forward without risking every single thing that that you currently have. Um, and without putting yourself in a position where you might end up on food stamps because you quit your job but didn't know how to build a business or something like that. Um, and, and so that's where Tiny Leaps came from. And uh, that night I wrote in my journal saying, uh, "This is we're in a really dangerous place. Somebody needs to create something that uh, counters this. And because I already knew how to launch a podcast, like I knew that world well, it just ended up being a podcast. And so when you thought about that, um, how did that guide the the format and yeah. in your mind, like what types of either content you were going to have or what type of guests you were going to go after? So it's really funny how how this show developed because it was all based on on kind of necessity in the moment. So I had the idea a week later, I had a show that meant and I, I knew I wanted to get it out very quickly because it was December 22nd of 2015. And I wanted it out for the first um, and and to make sure that I was able to get in front of people making their like resolutions and stuff. So because of that timeline, that means I couldn't get any guests for that first week because people are on their holidays. So even the friends that I maybe could have called on, like they're busy, they're, they're with their family and stuff. I'm not going to ask them to take 30 minutes to come talk to me on this new show that I don't even know what it is yet. Um, and and which, so which is, which is just uh, you know as as of this recording three uh, roughly about three years ago, mm-hmm. almost within yeah, a week. January January first will be three years, which is mind blowing to me. Yeah. Um, and and so I, uh, I I decided okay these first episodes are going to be solo, and that'll allow me to get it out quickly. Then after it launched, three episodes in, I did three episodes weekly because originally it was going to be a weekly show. And I noticed that it was doing better than my previous shows. Like the numbers were higher. There was, excuse me, there was a lot more um, engagement 
than previous shows. And so I decided, all right, I'm going to try and capitalize on this and I'm going to go daily. And because I went daily, but I had never planned on going daily, that meant I didn't have any episodes in the bank. Hmm. Um, daily five days or daily seven days? Daily seven days. Seven days. And okay. so I didn't have any episodes prepared, like nothing pre-recorded. And so what that's the cycle that put me in was I'm going to wake up every morning, record my episode, spend hours producing it, and then publish it that day. And then theoretically, I could have like batch like done two or three or something like that. But by the time I was done editing and producing that single day's episodes and promoting it and so on and so forth, like I was exhausted. Like I was mentally drained. So like when I first started, 14 minute episodes took me five and a half hours because it was Mm -hmm. very research driven. Like I was looking up uh, psychological articles. I was looking Mm -hmm. up like things that people have done and like scanning through documents to find science to like the, the original tagline was um, simple research backed strategies to help you get more out of life. And so the research backed was the differentiator. And, and so it took hours to create a single episode. Uh, So I was drained. And so that put me in this cycle for about six or seven months of waking up, doing my episodes, publishing it that same day, and then repeating it the next day. And because of that, you had your your own business or you're still working a nine to five or this point, I had just quit my job in December and was trying to like build a freelance web design business. Um, So like, in addition to trying to land clients and like do stuff that's unrelated to my podcast, like completely different audiences. Um, I'm, I'm doing this like four five, six hours a day of, of the podcast. And thinking back, I have no idea why I kept doing it because like, it sounds like a recipe for burnout. Like I don't mm-hmm. think I, I could do that again. Um, but I think it was largely because the signs were so positive. Like it within, I had a goal of doing a hundred thousand downloads in three months, a hundred thousand total, which to me was like massive stretch goal because my previous show uh, casual conversations had done 12,000 in about three months. Um, and so I set this massive audacious goal of, Hey, I'm going to do a hundred thousand in three months and, uh, uh, 10,000 the first month and 50,000 in the first two months. And I did a hundred thousand in the first like six weeks. And like, once I saw that, I was like, Holy crap. Like there's something here. Like, I don't know what it is and I don't know why, but there's something here. And so that's like sort of what kept me waking up every day and going through this cycle. Um, and and so it just meant that I couldn't take on guests. Hmm. Like as even if I wanted to, I could not rely on somebody else's schedule because it was always such a crunch. Yeah. Um, so, so all the decisions, especially in the beginning of the show, were purely about necessity. And then after about six months, I burned out naturally because you can't keep that up. Mm-hmm. And and so I switched, I dropped it to a weekly show and I was terrified of that, thinking I was going to lose all my audience and yada, yeah. yada. Um, and it turns out my audience came along for the ride. Like they were more than happy to go back to a weekly. And then that gave me time to build up a backlog of episodes. And since then, I've I've gotten pretty good at cycling my release schedule. So Towards the end in the beginning of the year, I typically release uh, three to five per week. And then in the middle of the year, I release once a week. And that's just based largely on the times of the year that people are paying attention to personal development, sort of maximizing when my audience is looking. Mm -hmm. And then when I'm in that middle of the year, when people are sort of forgetting what their goals are and not looking for it anymore, then I'm just sort of serving the people that are already there. Do you remember when the first time was that you started receiving feedback on the show? So I purposefully did that very quickly. Um, so that's something that I advise everyone do after you launch your show, uh, spend as much time as possible talking to your audience. And so what I did uh, the February after I launched, so February 2016, I carved out 15 minute blocks on my calendar. And I just said, here's the link, go schedule a block and we can talk about anything you want. So I didn't set an agenda on it. I wasn't pitching them on anything. I wasn't even asking them to share it. It was purely like the question I had was, who are these people? And mm. the best way to answer that, in my opinion, was let's talk about whatever comes to mind for you. And, and that you gives would, me you a would lot ask of for that. You would ask for that on the, on the show. You would uh, set that up on the yep. show. Yep. So I just set up a um, like a redirect. So I got a... a, a easy to remember URL. So it was like tinyleapscall.com or something like that. Yep. Uh, and then redirected that to my Calendly link. And what were the early questions? What were those conversations like? 
it was really interesting. Um, uh, it, it taught me that my audience was ridiculously diverse. So I spoke with uh, people in the UK that were just starting college. I spoke with single mothers of, of three in Arkansas. I spoke with people that had struggled with, with being overweight their entire life and were like sick of it. I spoke with people that were in a ton of student loan debt, um, which is definitely a problem near and dear to my heart. Um, and and it, it just sort of like reinforced to me that my show couldn't be about one specific area of life. Like it couldn't be, here's how you optimize your career or your finances or whatever it is. It had to be um, much more focused on the philosophy of how to change your life, regardless of what that change looks like. Uh, and so that helped me craft early episodes to, uh, I started asking myself, like, do I have enough content representing each of the areas of life? So I broke that down into six core areas. You've got your fitness, your nutrition, your finances, your career, your relationships, and your emotional health or your mental health. Um, and I just started looking at my catalog and like whenever I was leaning heavy on one thing, like I would purposefully go and do episodes that that uh, filled the others. And, and that allowed me to like keep a decent balance of of content for each person depending on whatever goal they had but the core theme of it was always the same it was this philosophy of all big changes come from the tiny leaps you take every day and how i'm i'm, I'm kind of sensing a, a trend or, or this interest that you've had and i'm wondering if you can recognize like when it happened like this mm. this idea for self-improvement for always bettering yourself i mean you're reading the self-improvement book on the train so it seems to be a consistent yeah. thread with you and i'm wondering if you can think back to where you realized that that was something that was important for you or something that where you wanted to put your focus yeah so i it happened when i was 13 it was when i first became like consciously aware of it um so my brother i'm the youngest of i think eight children um, one full sister, four half brothers and two half sisters. And, uh, I, uh, the youngest by a significant margin. So, uh, my closest sibling, she's, she's actually pretty close about four, but then my sister above that is seven. And then it just goes up from there. And so I visited one of my brothers who I believe is 12 or so years older than me, uh, in Florida when I was 13, I spent the summer with him and, uh, he threw this book like on my bed one day is like by the end of the summer you have to read this and it was uh, awaken the giant within by tony robbins which massive book if you guys aren't familiar like there's there's a lot in there so i see the book i'm like i i don't think i can read this by then but uh my brother's a uh big dude like he's a bodybuilder type so little 13 yeah. year old greg was uh, <laughs> terrified um <laughs> It's like, okay, yeah, um, I'll, I'll do it. Uh, so I read the book and it just sort of opened the idea that you could be in control of where things went. Um, and I think it, it resonated so well specifically because, and this is something I've uh, realized later on. Uh, so I'm an immigrant to the US. I came here when I was eight and my parents had the typical immigrant story. Like they came where, here- Where were you born? Uh, Jamaica. Okay. Yeah, so they came here, uh, literally had nothing. My dad's first job here was picking apples on an apple orchard. And he actually had to come up a full year ahead of us to like get himself established. Um, and, and so we, they came and worked their ass off and built a comfortable life and, and created real opportunity for me, opportunity that wouldn't have, exi wouldn't have existed in Jamaica. Because uh, for those of you who don't know, it, it is a third world country. Um, and, and so... That has always been a theme of my life. Like everything that's happened since we decided to move here has been a theme, but I was never consciously aware of of how that choice affected me and, and played out uh, until I read this book and realized the power that the choices we make have. Um, and, and so it just sort of all sort of snapped into place. And, and uh, I started focusing on entrepreneurship because I knew I wanted to have freedom and income and all of those things like when I was older and, and uh, so I tried starting a bunch of businesses when I was younger and had all these ideas for things, started shoveling people's snow, like all of that stuff. Um, and uh, as I grew older, like it just became more and more a part of my identity, like this concept of it doesn't matter where you're at, 
you can get somewhere better. Maybe you don't get everything you wanted, but you can get somewhere better through the actions you take on a day-to-day basis. Like that become, became a part of who I was uh, and, and the actions I took. And then when I had the, the idea for Tiny Leaps, uh, I think that's when it all finally sort of crystallized into the philosophy that sort of drives the way I, I, I behave on a day-to-day basis. And have the people who have been in your life, have they noticed like the changes in you and have they seen what has happened as a, as a result of what, you know, I'm sure you've read a ton of books after that yeah. one book and now with the podcast. Yeah. So um, it's interesting because the one big change that people have noticed, and, and I think it's the only change they could have noticed is that I'm a lot more focused than I was even two years ago. Uh, though that's, less related to the personal development and more related to uh, my father passed away last October before last October 2017. And uh, that's something he always used to like, sit me down and point out to me is like, you have all this potential, but like you're jumping Mm -hmm. from thing to thing. Um, And and so after he passed, I like finally clicked. But outside of that, like, I'm super lucky, man. Like I my entire life, whenever I went to my family or my friends with like a crazy idea, like when I was 14, I used to say that I was going to be a millionaire by the age of 21. Like I, I went all in on this. It was my, uh, if you guys remember AIM, like it was my AIM screen name. It was my email. It was like, I had the website 1 million by 21.com. Like I went all in on this. Um, and largely I did that because I thought, you know, you put it out into the universe kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Um, so, I went all in and I told every single person I knew never one time, not a single time did somebody say that's crazy. That's impossible. You can't Mm. do that. Like never, I've never had that in my entire life. It's always been, if it was my dad, he would sit down with me and like create a plan for it. If it was my mom and be like, cool, hurry up and do it. If it was like, like whoever it was, it was always like they expect that from me. And so like, I'm super, super lucky that I've never had to deal with like, oh, my family doesn't believe in me or my friends aren't supportive or anything like that. Um, and and I, I think that's a big reason why I am as ambitious as I am, because it just seems like the natural thing to do. And how is that manifesting now in the projects you're currently taking on? <laughs> one of two ways, uh, or not one of two ways, both ways. So the first is that um, going into 2019, I have a lot of really, really incredible things that are finally sort of falling into place. Things I've been working towards for the last 10 years of, of doing online marketing, starting companies, so on and so forth. Um, the second way, and this, this might be something you can relate to Harry and definitely I'm sure people listening can is the, the drawbacks of being really ambitious is you're never really satisfied and you're never really like happy with the things that you're doing, uh, at least not by default, you sort of have to go into that mindset of happiness as a choice kind of thing. Um, but by default, like, like I got a book deal and I have a book coming out in January, January 15th. Congratulations. And, uh, thank you very much. And, and uh, one of the quotes of the book is the editor in chief of entrepreneur magazine, like really, really cool, amazing things are happening. And on a day to day basis, I'm just thinking about, okay, what's next? Like, what, what is the next thing I need to do? How do I leverage the momentum from that? What, what does 2019 look like as a result of it? Like, I'm just planning and, and scheming and figuring out what do I need to work on next? Where does my focus go? Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be a really, really dangerous thing if you yeah. don't consciously choose to recognize the things you already have accomplished. Uh, because two years ago, three years ago, if you had told me I was going to have a book, I would tell you you're an absolute idiot. Uh, five years ago, if you told me I was going to be living in New York City, completely self-employed, like with uh, this woman that I love dearly, uh, with a, a family who supports me, with my own apartment, like this was my dream. Like I am living high school Greg's dream. And I just think that it's important to sit down and recognize that sometimes because when you are highly ambitious and you've been told your entire life that you can do anything, that you can literally go out and do anything, 
And not only that, people have tried to make plans with you so that you can make those things happen. Like when you you have that level of like ego, sometimes it's hard to recognize when things are going amazing. And so you end up feeling depressed, even though you have no reason to. And it sounds like that that actually happened to you. Oh, dude, absolutely. It, it's, um, I struggle on a day-to-day basis. Like I, on a day-to-day basis, it, let me, let me first ask this. Can I curse on the show? Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, on a day-to-day basis, I go back and forth between, wow, I'm a piece of shit. And, um, like really, truly believing that to having to force myself to recognize like where I actually am and what I'm actually doing and, and how incredible, incredible my life actually is. Uh, and, and the piece of shit stuff comes purely from like having this image in my head of what, where I should be and comparing that to reality and realizing, well, I'm not quite there yet. But what I, what the, the, what you don't realize on a day-to-day basis is that that image has shifted. Like the image used to be something else and I am there. Um, it's just shifted because I accomplished that thing, but it shifted before I had any chance to like recognize that it was there, that it matched up. Like it, mm-hmm. it, the, the goalposts had already moved. Um, so it, it's, it's tough. And I, I think that my family in general, uh, there is like a history of depression and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's possible that there is like a, a predisposition. Yeah. Um, but in general, like I, I look at so many of the people that are in my network, people that I love dearly who are absolutely killing it. And like, they just, they don't realize it. Like they don't realize how freaking amazing they are. Yeah. So it's, well, it's like, tough. Where do you think, I mean, you, you did mention your family and you said that's something that you struggle with daily. Um, have you put anything into place to sort of combat that and meditation or, you know, any exercise or, or something? Cause it's something, you know, I've, I can definitely relate and, I think um, a lot of times, you know, when we have these conversations, like we talk about the stuff that's working, but I think the reality yeah. is for, for our, you know, we all have lives going on behind the scenes that are not perfect. You know, yeah. um, you know, I'm <laughs> the first one on that list, you know, like there's stuff that I'm going through personally that, uh, that w- stuff that I fucked up. <laughs> you know, with my marriage and, mm-hmm. you know, and I have to think about those things and, you know, try to learn from those lessons and, yeah. and try to find ways to be a, a better person. And it's interesting because we see all these outward facing personas of all these people we know, and we go to these conferences, but I don't think yeah. a lot of times we know the true stories of what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And, and it's, it's fascinating because you can feel like you know somebody so well, especially if you've known them for years, which which is the case with a lot of uh, my content creator friends specifically. Um, and for many of them, like you really don't know like who they are, like what they yeah. struggle with. Um, but to to answer your question, I am at my best when I wake up. I I have a glass of water. I drink my coffee. I go to the gym, and I I call it like trying to get that first win of the day. So that mm. first win can be going to the gym. It can be something as simple as making your bed. But I'm a I'm a big big believer in creating momentum and then riding that wave basically. And and yeah. that very small win starts the process of creating momentum to to get more wins throughout the day. So I'm in my best, best mental place, uh, physical place, emotional place. When I get up, I go to the gym and I I take the time with pen and paper or pencil and paper in my case, because I personally hate pens. Uh, mm-hmm. Different conversation, though. But uh, <laughs> when I sit down and I write stuff out, whether it's here's what I'm struggling with or here's my task list for the day or just, just getting stuff out of my head because uh, I tend to obsess and overthink and, and do all of the, the classic stuff when it's up there. Um, and, and that has been a phenomenal way for me to tackle those things. Uh, what I want to start doing is uh, towards the end of the day, like creating some sort of list of like, here's all the really, really great stuff that I did do and like forget about the stuff that maybe I didn't get to or that I did 
poorly or uh, whatever it might be like just try to to switch my focus from the negatives to the positives because unfortunately we as humans are designed to notice the the negative like we're mm-hmm. we're designed to notice the thing that and it, it comes i think largely from uh you know back in in the hunter gatherer days if something was potentially dangerous then that's what you noticed that's what you paid yeah. attention to and uh, we're sort of always constantly scanning for the danger and and so in our case there's not that much danger in our lives but as a result we're noticing the bad things, the things that we didn't do, the things that we we did poorly, the things that are potentially a danger to our business or our way of living or, or whatever it is. Um, and, and so I think for me, consciously choosing to notice those good things at the end of the day would help dramatically. And, and it's something I plan on incorporating going forward. Uh, beyond that, I'm a massive, massive fan of therapy. Like I'm a huge, huge, huge advocate, it, especially in the black community. Unfortunately, it's still ridiculous. Re- ridiculously uh, stigmatized and i know it is in general but black families do not talk about therapy um and and especially like you go into caribbean even further like or, or latino families or latino like it is not a conversation no. um i recently i mean i recently started seeing a therapist this yeah for the first time ever and it's it it's was massive. Uh, it's long overdue i mean it yeah was and and that's overdue. the thing i i think that people um they try therapy one day, like they decide, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. And they try it and they they don't have a good experience. And, mm-hmm. and I, I want to push people to recognize that it's about finding the right person. Yeah. Um, it took me when I first started therapy, it took me two different therapists before the third one was like perfect fit. Um, and and so let's just just keep trying. Uh, I would recommend for anyone even considering it, but maybe you. You know, don't want to have to explain where you're driving every once a week or something like I'd recommend there's plenty of online tools for it. Like there's better help. There's um, a, a few other like apps that yeah. you can have the conversation with people and, and get some degree of the support. But I'm a massive, massive fan of it. Well, yeah, I'm glad we talked about it because it's, it's very timely and relevant for me right now. And mm-hmm. I think um, I mean, we should tell people and not have um that stigma attached to it to yeah. where we don't feel like or we're embarrassed to talk about it because i think people associate that with something's wrong with you you're broken or you know you're screwed up or there's a mental <laughs> issue that you yeah. have because in the past it was like people with like mental problems and mm-hmm. or disorder eating disorders or what have you but i think there's power in being able to talk through challenges you're having in life and i i I fought it for so long and and unfortunately um uh it 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 ended up badly for me you know because i I, there was probably things i needed to be talking through much earlier um years ago that would have helped and i think even people listening to this if you're on the fence with it you know just go and have Mm -hmm. that first conversation with someone and I imagine from you know your tone and and your the way you speak about it that it's actually had benefits for you as well. Oh, it, without a doubt, it's something that uh, I I grew up not really knowing how to recognize my own emotions. Mm. Um, so similar to therapy, like emotions were not a topic of conversation in in my household growing up, and so mm. yeah. uh, you could feel any way you want, but there was a certain way you were supposed to behave, and so you just behaved that way. Uh, and, and so for much of my like early late teens, early twenties, I couldn't even tell when I was feeling like, I didn't know what being anxious felt like I felt it all the time, but I didn't know that that's what it was. Like I, I didn't have yeah, yeah. the language for it. Um, and therapies, like I originally started because I realized it was it, not having the ability to recognize and understand and work through my own emotions was really affecting the way that I connected with people. Uh, my mm. girlfriend and I that we're still together now, like we had just met around that time um, and it, it was really getting in the way. So I started to get a better understanding of these things and it ended up turning into uh, over years, like a really, really deep dive into things that uh, have affected me in much bigger ways than I originally thought. Like conversations with my my parents that mm-hmm. have have left a mark in in ways that I didn't understand, um, and even just 
better understanding those things, even if the therapist gives you no advice, which they really like don't do, um, better understanding it is such a powerful tool. Like yeah. getting to know what is going on is such a powerful tool. Uh, and, and to your point before, I, I want to add this as well. There is, there's a stigma to it. And, and I think there are people like maybe are fearful of it or fight against it, whatever it is. But I also think people have a, a tendency to trivialize and, and trivialize like what it is they're feeling. And, and so in their minds, why would I go to therapy? I just feel a little sad. Right. Yeah. And what people don't recognize is like, it's not really about getting cured of, of whatever it is. It's more so uh, to what you're saying, like having that open conversation uh, is incredibly valuable. And, and more specifically, if you have a conversation with a friend or family or someone who has any context around you, you're going to subconsciously filter yourself because you want to be portrayed in a certain way to this person. Now, you may think that you're being totally open, but subconsciously you are saying things in a certain way. You're using certain words because you have a, a, a thing that you're trying to present to them. Um, with a therapist who you have zero relationship with outside of that room, you don't filter yourself. Like there, there's no, you aren't able to subconsciously filter yourself because you're not trying to be anything. There's nothing you need to like uphold with them. And they, they don't know anyone, you know, they, they have no connection to you. And, and so there's no fear of what you say, getting back to the people who do know you. And, and that's why you're able to, to go deeper on things is because of that the removal of the filter. So even if it's just like, you just feel a little sad and you don't think there's a problem at the very least, like having a way to speak without being filtered is powerful. Yeah. And uh, a lot of times you just need the ability to, to talk through stuff and you may not even know what it is you're originally there for, but I think having yeah. that, that neutral sounding board to talk through <laughs> things that are in your mind and, and yeah. having, and, and having someone help you make sense of what's there and that, that neutral third party is really powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been to a single session where I was like, here's exactly what I want to talk about. Yeah. Like every single time I walk in, she's like, so uh, what do you want to talk about? Today? I'm like, I have no idea, but this happened and this happened. And before I know it, the hour is done and I've said things that I didn't even remember happened. So along those lines of like having people to, to like support you in your life, can you think of a relationship that you've had with uh, a mentor who's been important for you and your success? My only formal uh, forms of mentorship have been uh, like with with family. So with my dad, with my older brothers, uh, with my older sisters, my mother. Um, every other form of mentorship I've had has been uh, mentorship from afar. So reading books, listening to audiobooks. Um, and I, I, I place a lot of value in that, in, in having access to these people in some way. And, and often I do try not necessarily try to turn it into a, an official mentorship of any kind, but try to get additional context by emailing these people or just having a conversation with them if I see them at a conference or something. Um, outside of that, I did for the first time uh, in 2018, hire a coach uh, specifically around um, like organization of my business. And it was one of the most valuable purchases I've ever made. Uh, yeah. It was definitely very expensive, but uh, it, it helped clarify so many things that I couldn't have under when I when I was deciding to do it, I didn't even know what I could get out of it. Like I knew this guy is where I want to be like he's doing super well, like I, I, I want to learn from him. But in my mind, I was like, what can he possibly tell me that I don't already know? And the truth is, he did tell me a lot of stuff that I already know. He just mm -hmm. organized it in a way that allowed it to finally be like, oh, okay, that, mm -hmm. that's what it, that's what this that's is important. about. Yeah. And it was so incredibly valuable. So so that's that's one. Uh, the guy's name is Jason Van Orden. I highly recommend oh, yeah. uh, at least just speaking to him. He's a good dude. So a couple of questions as we wrap up. Um, what's something you've changed your mind about recently? Something I've changed my mind about recently. I'm on the cusp of changing my mind about uh, like, so I'm not a big like floofy, like uh, uh, mindset um, 
speaking into existent type of person. Mm -hmm. Um, like I really, really struggle with wrapping my head around that stuff, uh, because I, and I think ultimately it comes from like, I'm, I'm not, I hate when I am not in control in, in some ways. And, and so if I have a goal, then in my mind, whether or not I accomplish it is based on the amount of effort I put in. And of course, there's external factors like other people's behavior that I can't control. But as far as the stuff I do control, like that's on me. Um, I'm in, on the cusp of of changing the way I look at it and, and really starting to be more open to the like putting it into the universe and still driving the action because that's that's the core of it. But making it known that this is what I'm going for. This is what I want here or like uh, keeping a vision board and all of those things. Like I, I can, I'm starting to see the value of it. Yeah. It seems like having one foot on the ground and then the other, you know, open to the possibilities that, yeah. you know, that you can actually create a vibration that allows right. stuff like that to come into your life. Yeah. And I think my, my big problem with it has always been like how people present it. Uh, like things like the secret and yada yada yada, um, but I I I'm ultimately ultimately I recognize that I don't and no one really does understand how the universe works like on a, a universal level, and if that's the case, is it theoretically possible that there are things out there we just don't know how they work, but they're a part of the universe? Yes, absolutely. And so if if that's the case, then I can't say for a fact that these this stuff doesn't work and if i can't say it for a fact then i might as well be open to the the possibility that it does yeah totally um what's the most misunderstood thing about you the most misunderstood thing about me is that uh people think that like i work very hard um and i i i, I don't think anyone who knows me could ever say that i don't uh but people think that i'm like the gary v type like hustle 24 7 and the truth is, like a lot of my days are not full days, but a, a good chunk of it is spent like watching anime and just consuming things like I'm a massive fan of consumption and and using that as fuel to sort of drive creation. So I, I think when people see like my social media posts and how much stuff I'm doing at a time, they're like, wow, this guy's constantly going. Um, the truth is, I do a lot of stuff in a very short period of time. And and uh, spend the rest of the time just doing nothing, basically. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, the beauty of these conversations is that I have no idea where they're going to go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so um, I'm, I'm glad we went down some of the paths and talked about uh, things that don't get talked about a lot, like depression and the importance of, of seeking help when you need it. And I'm glad we got to tell your story too, because as much as we've connected and seen each other at conferences, like yeah. you know, we really didn't know a lot about each other. And, and, and I'm glad you got to share your story here and I'm glad you're sharing it with the community. So I appreciate you and I appreciate you taking the time uh, to come on and, and, and talk about some stuff that was personal. Dude, I, I really, really appreciate you having me. And um, if, if it's all right with you, uh, the book, is mm -hmm. is coming out January 15th. It's the yeah. same as the podcast. It's tiny leaps, big changes. Awesome. Um, the podcast focuses very largely on what to do to change your life in each of the different areas uh, that I outlined. Um, the book's job is to tackle now that you know what to do, why aren't you doing it? Like what mm -hmm. are the, the factors that stop us from taking uh, making behavior changes yeah. uh, and really, really diving deep into that. So it's available wherever you get your books. There's an audio book that I did the narration for. There's uh, the Kindle. It's in Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart, like wherever you buy books, it's there. And and so I'd love to just get your feedback on it. Yeah. And naturally, as a podcaster, you had to narrate your own book, right? Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> one thing that had to be in the contract. <laughs> Where's the best place for folks to track you down? Uh, Instagram. So okay. at Greg Clunis, G-R-E-G-G-C-L-U-N-I-S. I respond to every single DM I get. So uh, feel free to find me, give me a follow, send me a DM, and I'd love to keep the conversation going. Well, thanks again. And I'm wishing you all the best for 2019. Dude, thank you so much. And if we don't connect before then, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to those of you listening if this uh, is dropping before. But thank you. 
Thanks so much to Greg for sharing his story about not only podcasting, but about his personal challenges, being an entrepreneur, and sharing with us his journey and the successes he's had. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did having it at the time with Greg. Full show notes at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 188. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, Focusrite, and their awesome line of podcasting gear, specifically the Scarlett 2i2, which is my recent favorite. Looking forward to connect with Dan and the Focusrite team at PodFest in Orlando. Tune in next week for my conversation with another good friend, Kyle Gray, host of The Story Engine. I remember when we started talking about the idea of this podcast with Kyle. I'm so proud of what he's done so far and the quality of the guests and where he's taken it. Uh, you'll you'll really get a lot of this, and I'm really looking forward to sharing that story with him. That's going to be next week's episode. If you made it this far, you're no doubt waiting on the retention hashtag. It is leap big, hashtag leap big one word, and you can tag Greg at Greg Clunis, and that's Greg with two G's, G R E G G C L U N I S, and us at podcast underscore junkies. Thanks for all you do to support the show. I will talk to you very very soon. And uh, make sure you tell at least one friend this week about the show and tag me on social media if you've done that. Thanks.